Welcome back, everyone, to our monthly podcast. This is The Call to Foster. My name is Shasta Miller, and I'm a field support manager here in the Southeast region with Children's Division. I have my lovely hosts with me, um, who are... I'm Jessica Hudstep. I'm our supervisor with the Southeast Region Resource Unit. I'm Ashton Kiever. I'm the Children's Division Communications Professional. Um, I am really excited, you guys. We have a very special guest with us today. Um, I'm hoping that he can share some insight and give some really good advice when it comes to fostering. Um, so I'm going to have uh, Jared, would you mind to introduce yourself and tell us how long you've been a foster parent? Hello, my name is Jared Baker. I've, my wife and I have been uh, resource placement foster parents, whichever term depends on who you talk to and what you call us, uh, for, again, time flies so quickly. I I think eight years. Wow. It might be. It might be two. It might be twenty. I don't know. <laughs> you know. I'm sure it feels some, like twenty sometimes, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's time. Some 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 days are just wonderful. It's like the day is over with, and I wished it it would have lasted much longer. And sometimes it's ten o'clock, and I'm like, why isn't it bedtime yet? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it, but yeah, it's it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, my experience is maybe a little bit different than uh, uh, some. Everyone always gets a laugh when I teach strong classes and get around, and I'm very involved with the with children's division and trying to support and help and recruit and train and assist and mentor and however I can do to help, I, I try to. But my answer is always when someone asks, of, "So what is your why?" If you teach a strong class, you know that the the question of Michael Jr. There's your why, but my why is a simple one: is because she said so. <laughs> and who's the that she? Is, that is my initial my initial why because I was raised very fortunate and very blessed out in the country. My family had nothing. We raised and worked and round and uh, Donovan's a small little town of you know two thousand ish people, and I got to go to it once a month and that was a treat. I was raised out in the woods on a farm working and with a very loving family. We didn't have nothing but love and it was great. So. I had a, a childhood that I'm very thankful for. My wife had exact opposite. She was in and out of foster care her whole life. Um, she remembers going from one foster home to the next. Wow. Fortunately, she uh, was adopted, but then her adoptive home, uh, it, it was before they had the limits on the, the you know, six and limit in the home. So there was 12 adopted in her home plus fosters in and out. So oh my gosh. basically even... She was basically, you know, in the, in the, throughout the early 80s, mid-80s, she was um, uh, in a group home, basically. So, but her childhood experience consisted of uh, foster homes herself, then when adopted, it was an adoptive home, still foster home. And she was uh, the second oldest in the home of that. So she was a caregiver provider, you know, with many, uh, you know, 10-plus younger siblings she was taking care of. So when we married... Uh, real quick, actually before marriage, uh, planning our life, she said she wanted to be a foster home. And with me being ignorant, and I use the word by definition and not insulting way, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. It was just, I didn't understand it and it was a scare to me. And, and I just had an ignorant mentality of it and said, well, I don't know about that. And why don't we raise it? And we had some many discussions about it here, and we were 20. But I finally, we agreed that we would have our family first, 
and then I would then we would foster. Okay. And uh, so it got left at that. And when our children, we had three biologicals, and our son, you know, went off to college and moved off. And then our we got twin daughters that when their senior year, when they were graduating, and we was planning their graduation and planning their college experience and getting around. And one night, my wife said, "All right, it's time. You promised." <laughs> That's and awesome. I I said, "Wait, what?" Uh, what did I promise? And, you know, the man scare of what have I got myself into now, trying to go over the recent conversations. But I didn't go back 20, 30 years. I went, you know, she said, you said we could foster. Our, and I was just kind of speechless. So I was like, well, oh, okay, we'll start the process or we'll do something. And, and next thing I know, we had uh, two little boys in our home, and it's been going since. But that was my initial why. But those two little boys became my why then, too, because I fell in love with them and the process. And mm-hmm. fortunately, they were uh, able to go home, and we still run across them at Walmart the other day. Yeah. We, have, <laughs> we are very definitely a foster reunification home. Uh, yeah, let's We let's, just let's... love getting people back together. I love helping chances. I, uh, reunification is our goal. So, Jared, I, I really want to, I want to, let's take a minute and dig into that because I think um, people who are listening to this who might be interested in fostering need to hear what you're saying here. Um, so, I love that you say, you know, you really are a reunification foster home. Um, can you share like some challenges that you and your wife have had regarding working with the biological family um, and anything you can share that would give some good insight for others to hear? Yeah, this is uh, a soapbox I can talk on for all day. You have to uh, <laughs> extend this to to uh, to a series, but uh, because actually I think unification should be the goal, and as you know, you're going to hear me go through the process. That is always the primary, mm-hmm. and it, it is the, the main goal. And I actually think that the placement foster home has a vault to do with that happening. More so than many others. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Jared. I'm so glad that makes my heart smile. Well, well, it does because the, the as we know, we come into this on people's worst day of their life. Yep. Mm. You know, as and and they've had their kids taken away of everything you can lose. Um, can you uh, imagine losing a kid? I've walked outside of Walmart, forgot where I parked, and thought my car was stolen before, and, and <laughs> had a panic mode. And had a panic mode, but can you imagine literally have people show up and take your kids away and you can do nothing about it? Yep. And and the more that you try to do something about it, the worse it gets on you. I mean, and then just to have, of, of everything to lose, losing your kid, and no matter what the person is, no matter what their lifestyle is, no matter what the morals are, no matter, they don't plan on losing their kids. Yep. That's not what mm-hmm. they want, and that's the worst thing to take. So they've had their kids taken, and they've got to do this and get around, and, and then their kids are placed with someone else that they're calling mom and dad, and they're in their home, and they're fulfilling the role that they want to do. And, and sometimes placement homes or the foster parents, they are for the kiddos what the parents want to be. They just don't know how to be, mm-hmm. and, and their life hasn't allowed them to be. But, but again, I, initially the experience you're going to have is, the biological parents are going to hate you as a foster parent, and all you've done is provided love for their kid. Yeah. But yeah. They, they consider you as an enemy or you're part of it. So um, I look forward to the first chance I get to meet Biles when we have kids um, because I think it can alleviate 
film and help the whole process. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes we're kept apart for a while because they can't meet the kids because it's got to be justified for visitations. And there's there's the whole process as people can get into. But just if we're talking about recruiting, uh, you got to realize that when you meet a biological parent for the first time, when you've had their kid in your house for a while, they're not going to run up to you, give you a hug, and, and be all happy, right. and you're not their favorite person. Right. You are an enemy, but you've got to win them over, and you've got to reassure them that, hey, my goal in this is to provide your child mm-hmm. a safe home and love them and to help you get them back. And I, my age helps, again, I'm 51 right now, so I we had two placements last night at 10 o'clock come into our home and oh, had a conversation with them meeting them with, you know, what's your name, what's this, and run around. And, and I tell them, hey, you can call me Jared, you can call me Mr. Baker, you can call me Papa, you can call me Uncle. You know, I, I let them pick what they want to call me, mm, okay. but I, I uh-huh. discourage Dad. I, yeah. I, I'm not Dad. And uh, and when I meet the, the, the vile Dad first time, I always say, hey, I'm not going to be Dad. I'm not trying to fulfill your role. I'm not trying to be you. I want you to be that, and I want to support that, and I want to help that. So actually the relationship that the uh, placement home can form with a biological parent, again, I think it has as much or more disunification than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, you hey, can, Jared, um, can you, I, w- I actually had a question about that. It, it, you know, um, this is Ashton. I am not in the CD world, right? Like I'm, I'm on the outside communicating for CD. And, but I am also a person who's had an interest in foster care and adoption my whole life. And um, as that, you know, I have questions that maybe, anyway. Um, so how do you approach that first meeting with bio parents? Because it seems like it would be a really hard first interaction. And, and you just said that you really, you look forward to it. Um, can you like talk about that a little bit? I, I look forward to it because it needs to happen and to get over with, and I know it's something that they're dreading, and everyone, it's just a milestone that has to get passed. And how I handle it is by allowing them to take lead okay. because they've been out of control of so much stuff. Yeah. And I don't try to dominate the conversation. I don't try to guide the conversation. Uh, I try to direct it, and I try to drop in <laughs> Those words, I mean, I don't walk up and just throw out a speech at them. They've been lectured to enough already. Mm-hmm. But I, I get introduced myself, and, um, and, and most of the time the caseworker does the introductions and stuff. But I just want to try to let them guide and control the conversation and, uh, and to bring it out. Because, again, I, I want to be as gracious and merciful and kind with them as I, as I can. But let them guide and let them talk and say, so tell me about yourselves. Tell me about this. And... And usually I've had the child for, for a while, and as I talk to the child, uh, I, do, don't, I don't try to milk them for information. I, don't, I leave the investigation to, to, the, to the pros. Mm-hmm. It's not my place to dig into what happened. Well, why are you here? Well, what did your mom and dad do? Or, you know, and I, I listen to when they need to talk about whatever they need to talk about. Again, I want to deal with the kiddos. I let them talk, but yet I also try to guide their conversation into positives. Um, and a lot of times they'll share, hey, my dad and I went fishing, or my dad and I went this, oh. or my dad and I did that. Yeah. So as I listen to the kid, I try to find the positives of their childhood or things that they, they enjoyed. And then I'll kind of drop that into conversation with the bio. Hey, oh, you know, 
Johnny says that you guys want, he loves, he wants to go fishing. You know, uh, he likes this. He looks forward to that. Just find a positive because everyone's been telling them what they did wrong of yeah. why they uh, lost their yeah. kid and what they got to do right to get their kid back and why they do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I try to find a, a positive from the kid that I can maybe drop into the conversation and, and then talk about that and get around and, and just say, hey, encourage them. Again, it's hard to answer the question as you ask it because I try to yield control to that conversation as much as I can to them and let them guide it. Yeah. No, yeah, and I think that's a good answer. It's a great answer. It's tangible. Um, so, Jared, as you as I'm hearing you share about this, um, I'm thinking about, and you and I both know this, right, because you've been fostering for eight years. You're a trainer for our curriculum. Um, but we know and that we have families, foster families out there, who really struggle with working with biological families, right? You know them, I know them. What advice would you give them to kind of get over that hurdle? Because I think what you're saying is absolutely valuable, but I think that's easier said than done, right? Unless you're naturally think and feel that way. So how do you help others really get through this when working with biological family? Try to find the positive because it's so easy to become emotional. Yep. Um, when when you realize, especially when you have a heart at all, which is you have to have a heart to listen to the conversation this far, and and a desire and, and empathy and a sympathy for uh, for kiddos and and for the innocents, and when you realize how much innocence that has been lost uh, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of kids, it can really become um, hurtful and and become traumatic to us. Yeah. The traumatic. The trauma that kids experience uh, becomes secondhand trauma to the foster parents. Absolutely. Um, yeah. be, be prepared that every placement you get, when they come in, uh, while, when the caseworker gives you calls, you're going to be traumatized. Again, I've been traumatized by kids that I've never even seen or touched mm-hmm. or heard or, or know just because the caseworker called and said, hey, I've got this kid, and they give me a quick spill down of seeing if it's a placement I'll accept. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's a placement I can't for whatever reason, we just don't have the, the space for that one, or I don't have the facility, or I don't have the, the needs for that one. Again, not every kid is going to be a fit for every home. Right. But but just hearing about, hey, there's this kid that has just experienced this. Yeah. Uh, it can become trauma. For, I've had my day run, you know, get a call early in the morning, some kid that has experienced some terrible trauma abuse. So far, they, you know, there's been emergency taken away from the home. And then you got to think of some kid experienced that, so then that runs my day. Every kid I didn't even know. Yeah. But so but it's, it's totally the, worth it in the end. Yeah, absolutely, right? So it is. It is. It is. That's what I'm saying. It that is part of it. And when you let that bottle and grow and build and build and build, and when you just think that this was an evil monster that was raising this kid, then you can have a very bad negative feeling towards the bottle before you meet them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, the, 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 the analogy of don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, again, definitely applies with this. Try to stay as neutral as you can with uh, with the bottles yourself. I leave the judging to the judges. Yeah. I leave the I leave the investigation to the investigators. Uh, again, my job is to love the kids and help unify the uh, the uh, the family. Yeah. If you watch the song, I, I was able blessed to be able to help do the videos for Strong Class. If, if you go through, and you know, there's a, a term that we say in that of the reunificator. Talk about superheroes, Superman, you know, Spider-Man, and mm-hmm. all of these things. What a wonderful job if, if, if foster parent realizes he's a reunificator. 
So Jared, I get families together. I have to tap into the the secondary trauma that you just mentioned because in all reality, we don't talk about that enough, especially with our foster families. Uh, We talk about it very heavily within CD and internally, but you just mentioned something that I think needs to be put on the forefront because our foster families like yourself, you are impacted by secondary trauma and it could be just from a phone call like you, you shared with us, right? Um, so what, what do we need to do as an agency to, to be better about that? When you're in the home taking the child and while the, while the family or whoever's throwing all the uh, clothes in the trash bag that you bring, mm-hmm. um, look around the house and hopefully at some place in the house you can find a picture of, of a, a happy experience, yeah. a birthday party, a Christmas party, a um, a uh, you know fishing experience, a trip to Six Flags, a graduation. Again, if you can find something in the house that symbolizes that this family has experienced a happy moment, mm-hmm. and and take a picture of that, get permission, probably whatever you'd have to do. You know, right. say, hey, can I take a picture of this to include, and, and pass that to the foster family, and then get it printed off for the uh, kid to have in their room. Because mm-hmm. we talk about t- pictures of, of them up, but. Not just have a picture of, hey, here's my mom. I've had we've had kiddos that had pictures of mom and dad on their dresser, but again, that's just them. But if you can find something in the life prior to the trauma that brought the kid into care, mm. and and then pass this along, because see, you're you're going to the foster home again. I had two kids come to my house ten o'clock last night. They showed up with uh, two backpacks and a trash bag apiece, and mm. and that was it. And I got the whole horror story of why they're there and. Yeah. And blah blah blah, and the kids are running around. They're five and six, and they're they're just in a new new environment, new experience, and brown everywhere. And mm-hmm. again, so trying to wrangle them down, get them calm, get them in bed because they had to be at school this morning. But right. but anyway, all of that, you know, it's I'm at the bio right now without eight years of experience and, and hundreds of hours of training and um, psychology uh, background I have, which really helps. But uh, mm-hmm. we we have. I have different foot footing, but mm-hmm. someone that is strictly is in this because they love kids, they're going to think that there's a monster raised yeah. these kids. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you could say, hey, look, this family is on hard times. They have had good experiences. Yeah. This kiddo's entire life hasn't been bad, and and I don't know if it's possible to to capture a good moment Actually, on I think, the wall in the house. I, Jared, I think that's situation. an absolutely great idea, and I'm looking at Jessica over yeah. here, and I think. Uh, we absolutely could do that, of course. Yeah, we would have to get permission, right? But that's easy. We can get permission. So, Jared, um, on the same secondary trauma, right? Um, so you're a foster parent. You really showcase that that is real. Um, foster parents, you know, they experience secondary trauma. What advice would you have for foster parents on how to deal with that? I mean, through supports? What kind of supports? Um, so can you talk a little bit about your own supports and um, who you need to be able to foster these kids and foster them well? Um, it varies sometimes. I'm mostly my, my spouse, my wife, mm-hmm. you know, she and I, because I can talk with her about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can talk, but again, I, I pastor a church, so awesome. I, have, I have a vast network of fellow pastors that I can grab any given one, and again, at 52, I've 51. I've pastored for 25 years, so I've right. got a, I've got a vast network that I've probably got 
buy that legs up and advantages over average person when it comes to my support group that I have. That's great. That I can lean on because mm -hmm. I've got, I don't even know how many pastors I've got that I can pull from, and i got experience of their backgrounds, of their histories, of their stuff. I go to someone that I know has experienced what I'm needing mm -hmm. um, because there's no one size fits all, and there's no one person for every trauma. Yeah, uh, You've got to find yeah. the one that can relate. So, again, I pull off of that. I have, again, I'm a psychology student. Uh, I've got professors that I've talked to. I've got other students, psychology students I've talked to. Um, and I, on top of all of that, I have, again, something that it took me years as a, I love being a country boy, but my thought on counseling, you know, I grew up with a very different lifestyle and mentality than I have now. The, the thought of going and talking to a counselor was like, well, that's stupid. Right. You know, what are they yeah. going to do? And again, I, I had a very negative tone on that, and now I do it both on both sides of the, the conversation. Yeah, right, but, right. But it's one of those things of don't be afraid to go talk, and I know that yeah. CD helps at times, and I've talked to this one, but just definitely find someone to talk to, yeah. but it's someone that you can relate to. My wife and I do most, because when I talk to other pastors and when I talk to other people, again, I have to be more guarded, and I've got to be, I can't open, truly open up and just spill, because yeah, I've got to protect. I've got to protect. Yeah. Yeah, so that actually brings up a question for me. Um, you know, Jessica Shasta, can you guys talk maybe for a second about like what what resources do we have for foster parents, um, maybe that are dealing with the secondary trauma? Like, do do we have services like therapy that we can help them um, access and things yeah. like that? I mean, we we can we can get our foster parents access to therapy, um, mental health. Well, we also have groups and contract agencies that, like Foster Adopt Connect is one of those, um, that really are advocates for our foster families, and they can be a support. And let's not forget about our own internal ambassadors program, which are mentors, um, and they're people that are foster parents that are mentoring and can mentor others. In fact, I think Jared and Elizabeth might be absolutely good candidates for ambassadors if they aren't already. Um, Already are. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I yeah, love yeah, celebrating that. Um, and one thing I just wanted to hit on, and Jared um, probably knows this too, but like when we have our classes at our orientation class, like as long as all the new incoming um, foster parents want to and they're okay with exchanging numbers and their emails mm -hmm. and stuff, we ask them and then we do that. They're connected within that class, but also we connect them, like Shasta said. To a mentor like Jared and his wife or other ones it depends on where they live you know what county what area that we pair them with experienced foster parents that they can lean on and like when you know just I'm just curious so um say I'm a foster parent who is experiencing some of the secondary trauma and I've kind of tried to talk to my spouse and I've tried to talk to maybe my pastor, and I still just feel like maybe I need to be going to some therapy mm -hmm. um, to make me a better, like, to help strengthen me as a parent and, and especially as a foster parent. Um, do I get to pick my own therapist, or is it, like, somebody that CD mandates me to go to? How You know, like, what kind can you, what yeah. would this look like? They can pick their own therapist, Absolutely. you know, who they're comfortable <clears throat> with, just like we do with the kids. Like, yep. but... 
It is very limited in yes. rural counties. It really depends on where you live and what access you have. Because the access to those might services. be very limited. So, Jared, what about your area? Is it limited? Well, yeah, I was waiting to let you guys talk, and you may want to delete this out because it's not going to sound favorable. Because our experience has been, I guess I've already related my wife's background. Yeah. She was uh, fostered, she was adopted, and get around. And back in the 80s, they didn't do the therapy and they didn't do the counseling. And right now, right. so 80% of the children in our home, we take the counseling. Right. Because they are helped to process, which I love the fact that AD, at CD is very uh, aggressively, you know, proactive with getting kiddos into counseling and stuff. And that's great for them. In the 80s, that wasn't the case. And right. I mean, my wife is the trauma that brought my wife, the uh, cheap yard, my wife's family was just brushed under the rug and said, well, we don't talk about that no more. Yeah. Uh, about three years ago, we had a uh, group, sibling group come into our home and two of the girls mirrored my wife's experience. So much so that things that she had brushed under the rug um, popped up. Yeah. And, and it was probably the, the nightmare. It was a secondhand trauma to brought her back to her firsthand trauma. And mm. it was a nightmare of a few months or for us. I mean, very bad. Don't want to elaborate on that. Oh, yeah. But anyway, through, through that, we, we did reach out to uh, um, Child Division for help in this area. Uh-huh. And, they, and they started and tried to find, but it just wasn't available where we were, and we was unable to get the support. And we actually ended up putting our license on hold. Uh, we privately brought in our own counselor, and thankfully God brought us all through. And it, there was a silver lining. But, again, it, it was a process that had to be go through. But we had to put our license on hold um, and then go through that. And then we opened back up and then around. So, and it wasn't that we wasn't said, well, tough luck, so, so bad for you. Uh, the caseworkers, the uh, supervisors, the children's division was very supportive of us, but they was there was unable to provide the help in our area. Yeah. So yeah. it was a it was a problem. Which is so unfortunate, you know. And but I did want to highlight that because it really depends on where our foster parents live and where the kids are placed and stuff is what they have access to, and what we're and, contracted. And, and, and if I can, again, I almost encourage you to delete that portion. But so, but what part you, I do want to say, is, is, as far as secondhand trauma and the groups and stuff, I understand COVID changed the world. Mm-hmm. And as a trainer, I really wish we could push back to in-person training. Uh, like I said, I trained last night, virtual. And I've trained others, you know, many classes virtual. He was talking about the, the groups and changing names and stuff. We went through training as a group, and there's a bond. You form a bond with the uh, foster parents you go through training with. Absolutely, yeah. And you get to sit across the tables from them. You get to be with them. You get to be there with them. You get to talk more person. Again, training is – there's an advantage to uh, the virtual WebEx training that I enjoy taking advantage of. I love the fact that I trained last night. Mm-hmm that, you know, got online on the WebEx, trained, talked, did the job, did the thing. We went, we got done. I hit leave meeting, and I was at home, and I went about my day. I didn't have to drive home. Right. didn't have to do nothing. Right. So there's great advantages to the virtual meetings, but as far as to be a support for secondhand trauma, for advice, for, for help, for doing it, 
there's a comradeship that you build when you're in training together. It is a, a brotherhood. It is an experience that you will get. Yeah. I can yeah. so people that we trained with eight years ago. So I know that it's hard to get people to agree to do in-person trainings anymore, and I realize that we're probably about to go back into a COVID shutdown to some degree by what I keep hearing. Mm. But No, I hope not. But, yeah, but again, if you can push for uh, – um, in-person experiences, even if, even I if, think uh, in, in-person experiences, as I'm hearing you talk, like, you know, I think we can do both, right? Yeah, I think we can definitely. have the, the training virtual and then let's be intentional about in-person experiences. And I, I actually love that. Um, I think we can do that, right? Yeah. And we can do it even locally. We can do it on a regional level. Um, I'm writing that down, Jared, because I think that that is so important. And I do think we're missing. That's a piece we're missing. Yeah. Right? Jared, like, we could do a mix. You can We could have some virtual ones so we can. What's so good about it that we see on our end is we can get a wide area all on one training, right? Like, we can have people all throughout the Southeast on one training where if we're scheduling an in-person training, it's limited and I know you know that, Jared, but we could do like a yeah. mix. Well, and it sure is. I mean, again, the answer is for, as a trainer, I would love to stay virtual. It makes my job easier. I love it. I love training, and I love training virtual. But if the question was how can you help provide support for the new foster parents, the part of that answer is to let them build a bond with their peers. Because Absolutely. And in, in the small rural area, I know the clientele, I know the demographics, I know the mentalities, and you're not going to get very many of them go uh, talk to someone when they need to. Yeah. They, so, don't, they don't have the confidence and trust in, 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 uh, in counseling and in therapy, but they, they, they talk to each other, and they will talk to a peer so quicker than they would a counselor. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Jared, I, I want to hit on this, on this uh, something you said earlier. Um, when um, you and your wife had the had the placement, your wife was kind of struggling, right, with some triggers. Um, I think the audience and the listeners out there who potentially might be interested in fostering would benefit to hear, um, you know, part of that support is picking up the phone and calling your children's division worker and saying, you know what, I'm struggling right now. I'm really struggling. I need to maybe put my license on hold and being vulnerable to do so because I think we have a lot of homes out there who are who are very prideful, which is a good thing, right? Like, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But they don't want to ask for help. They don't want to say, hey, I'm struggling. And I think your example, and I'm glad you shared it uh, regarding your wife, is an example of, you know what? It is okay. And that's how you can also get support is just to be raw, to be vulnerable, and pick up the phone call your licensing worker and say, you know what, I need help. Yeah, well, and, and it's just like normal parenting. They always tell you, like, you have to put on your oxygen mask before you can effectively help any other passenger, right? Like, that's the airplane motto. That's, like, the same thing in yeah. parenting. Um, and, and, like, I have realized several times now as a parent, just, just to my own biological children, like when my mental health is suffering or like when I'm having a rough day, like I always, I heard this story or this theory once about spoons, you know, you only have yeah. so many spoons per day. And, um, you know, if work is taking all of your spoons, you're coming home and you're yep. pouring from an empty cup. Yeah. Yep. And, and 
so it's all about like taking care of yourself first. And some people maybe think that's selfish, mm -hmm. but if you don't prioritize your own health and your own mental health, how are you going to be a good like someone to support someone else when you're barely standing on your own yeah and i think some of that too is feeling vulnerable to say that right mm -hmm. to right, right say to, to your licensing worker that you know what i need to take care of me right now and yeah. to not feel guilty no and, to, and and maybe we as a collective and a community need to do better at Recognizing that recognizing and that. Yeah. wrapping our arms around people and telling them, you know, what, it's okay if you work on yourself, you know, you should work on yourself. Yeah. And especially I, with the secondary trauma and like Jared was talking about, not only foster parents, but the kiddos that have experienced it, but also as children's division workers, like all of us as a team, we experience that secondary trauma and absolutely. just bringing it to the forefront and it's okay. Yeah. Let's, let's work through this. Yep. So Jared, um, I have made a, I'm, I've made some notes here because I think you've said a lot of really valuable things. The in-person experiences, we got to do more of those. I'm going to be reaching out to our local uh, licensing leaders and hopefully that we can get some of those set up and in place because I think those are very valuable. Um, I'm really glad to hear you're an ambassador um, for the listeners. Um, uh, we have an ambassador on the phone. So um, again, it's just well, another. I'm, go ahead. I'm an, I'm I'm an ambassador in title only. I really, really, um, I have a problem of boundaries. Of, I say yes too much. And, uh, and, but, yeah, I was, I was asked to be an ambassador, and I said yes, but I have not been an, an effective ambassador. I've really slacked on doing that. I get my emails. I get the correspondence. and I, I've maybe caught a couple meetings the sure. whole time. But, yeah, I, I don't want to, uh, to uh, get any accolades or credit or, or is there's, that's yeah. not a good thing. I've been a, a slipping ambassador. I get it. I get it, we Jared. Get it. I totally get it. Well, we'll probably like edit some of that out, but, yeah. um, nonetheless, I, I think that, um, it's a good, it, another, another support to our foster families. So, well, um, I, I am going to start to wrap this up, Jared. We, we could probably talk to you all day long. Um, but I do have one, one question for you that I kind of want to wrap up on. Um, so let's say, Jared, I'm a friend of yours, and I come up to you and I say, Jared, you know, I've been thinking about wanting to be a foster parent, but I've heard all these horrible stories. I'm scared I'm going to get too attached. Um, I just don't know if I can do it. What, what advice would you tell me? If, you, if it doesn't hurt, you don't need to do it, and you're not doing it right. If you're worried about being attached, then um, don't, because you need to get attached. If you don't get attached, then you don't need to do it, because you need to love the kiddo. But the thing is, if you go ahead and go through training, you will learn that part of the competency is building a lifelong connection. Mm -hmm. And don't think about, hey, I'm going to bring this kid into my home for four or five months or a year. And then they're going to take him away from me, and it's going to hurt. Well, you know, you're going to raise your kids up, and they're going to go. Does it? You know, are you are you not going to have your own kid because right. they're 18 and move out? Yeah. Form a relationship, and if you and if you form the relationship with the bios, and if you are instrumental in the reunification, then you're a part of that family forever. So, if you're only looking at it, I'm going to I'm going to have a short term. Then don't do it. If you're going to try to avoid the pain, don't do it. Yeah. If you're unable to be attached, don't do it. Because the goal is 
to become attached to the bio's family as a unit and to help them reunify and to, and to form a lifelong lasting relationship with them that you become a support group for them and then you just have more grandkids. Every grandparent I know, myself speaking, but it says that, you know, I wish I could have skipped the having the kid stage and went straight to the grandkid. Right. And every time I hear someone say that, it's like, you need to be a foster parent. Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah. Because you get to go straight to a grandparent. I own pawpaw to every kid that comes into my home. And I have a bunch. I've got four biological grandkids, and I've probably got 30 grandkids. Oh, I love it. Because there you go. I just, it just comes in. You get to be a lifelong part of their family. So the thing is, uh, don't focus on the loss. Focus yeah. on the gain. And don't think about it. it's going to end just because they go back to their family. That's right. If you do it right, if you do it right, it'll hurt a couple of days they're gone. Mm-hmm. But if you do it right, you'll get to be a grandparent. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jared, for I, that. I think that's, that's some really great advice. And I think you've convinced me. Um, I, I think we all really have learned so much from our conversation with you today. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for your service, you and your wife. Thank you for your service. Thank you for assisting uh, Children's Division with training. Um, I know that we, we put a lot on foster parents, and I just want to thank you for, literally from the bottom of my heart. Um, I, well, thank you. Jessica mm-hmm. wrote your number down, so I will, I'll probably give you a call and we'll chat a little bit more about these in-person experiences, but, um, just thank you again for just taking the time to chat with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, but we're going to let anywhere. you go and please tell your wife hi. And, and thank you. And thank her too. Bye, Jared. Thank you, Jared. Thank you. Whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, he was amazing. He really was. And. With all his years of experience, um, you know, and being a pastor, and Mm -hmm. um, he's a co-trainer for us for Strong, just his life experiences, but what he shared about his wife. Mm, That's real, That just, and him being vulnerable enough to talk about it, and I know his wife also talks about that in trainings. It's just, it hits home, brings it back that, you know, our agency... I feel it's came a long way. Yeah, but secondary trauma and some of our other episodes, you know, we we haven't talked a lot about secondary trauma in mm-hmm. the how impactful that is to foster families, and he really highlighted that today. Um, and it's real. It's real. And um, we've got to do better. Well, we've got to do better all around to wrap our right. arms around foster parents just like Jared and give them as much support and... Even the community wrapping their arms around. Right, because the foster parents, they experience secondary trauma from the children's trauma. And then the caseworkers do from the children's trauma. And the children are the ones that's actually gone through it. Like, it just, it's a cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you break that besides bringing it to the forefront? I also liked his approach, right? Like, he is a very, you can tell he's a very, um, you know, simple... Um, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and very heartfelt and um, transparent, but in a way that I think was positive. And um, I just, I, I would love to just sit and have a cup of coffee with him and hang out with him and, and really pick mm-hmm. his brain. Yes. Um, he's that kind of person. <laughs> but I, I think um, uh, definitely connecting with them is after the fact is going to be and key. He, he's a great guy. Like, I, I've known him for several years and um, just, 
he don't just have the heart. Like, he embodies yeah. being a foster parent, him and his wife. Fostering the family. He talks yeah. so much about that. But when he said, I believe, he when he said, like, if there's no pain or no hurt, then you're not doing it right. Like, don't do it. Yeah. You know, don't do it for a short time. Go in thinking of it as it's going to be a lifelong um, commitment, not just when the child leaves your home. Yeah, and one thing that I that I really latched onto. So some of the foster parents that we've talked to, it almost seems like each one has really taken on the let's find a way to personalize this space for this new child. And you know, we didn't really dig into that with him, but one of the things he said is, I let them pick what they want to call me. They just can't call me dad. Yeah, right. And um, I thought that was really kind of neat because we've talked to people who are like, you get to pick your own blanket or you get mm-hmm. to pick your own yeah. s- snuggly toy. Like, but but this is a name, you know. You call me what you want to call me. I love that. I love. I'm glad you brought that up, Ashton, because I love that he said that because at, as a manager with the agency, I've heard so many parents feel so horrible because we have a foster kiddo calling a foster parent mom or dad Mm. and that is that's hurtful and it's not intentional right like kids are kids but i love that he sets that tone and that's a good tangible way to do that you can call me anything but dad because you know what you have a dad and and i'm gonna care for you and love you um just can't call me dad i think it's really good relationship with the biological Mm -hmm. parents saying hey there is a boundary there Yeah, yeah absolutely um, I loved that he said he gave some real tangible advice when you asked the question about, you know, how do you approach a biological family yeah. when there is that, you know, you are you are the bad person as a foster parent. And he gave some tangible advice. He said, let them lead. Be positive. Be in control. Build a rapport. Yeah. Be in control. Like, um, they've already been beat up. They've already been beat up, right? Like, yeah. don't beat them up more. No. Um, yeah. Very good, tangible advice. And I hope that our listeners and audience um, really listen to Jared because I think he had a lot of teachable moments and I think he had a lot of inspirational things to say. Um, and I'm really glad to hear that they're, they're assisting the agency with co-training and, and really, really good stuff. This might be one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, yeah. It was a really great call. It was. Anything else, ladies? No. I all just, right. I could talk about him all day long. I know I could, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are going to have to end um, our show for the month, but please join us next month, um, The Call to Foster. Um, if you are interested in fostering, you can call 1-800-554-2222. You can also go to dss.mo.gov backslash cd. Pick up the phone. Join join and and serve um you can also find um our podcast on spotify dss facebook apple youtube instagram and potentially many more platforms to come um we appreciate you listening please like and subscribe we'll see you next month adios bye At the Department of Social Services, we are dedicated to inspiring more Missourians to help us provide quality, loving homes to the children in our care. Help us reach our future foster parents by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this podcast on your social media platforms.